this morning. That wonderful hymn sets our hearts and minds in the right direction this morning. Oh, God, reveal your glory to the preaching of your word. That is what I hope to do this morning is to simply reveal the glory of Christ from the text. Mark 7, verse 31. I'll begin by reading Mark 7, 31 to 37. Mark 7, verse 31. The word of God says, again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears and after spitting he touched his tongue with the saliva. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said, Ephtapha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone. But the more he ordered them, the more they widely continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, he has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. This is God's word. May he bless the preaching of his word this morning. Now, this text I just read seems somewhat paradoxical, doesn't it? On the one hand, Jesus is brought a man who is disabled. From birth, commentators say this was a congenial disease. He could not speak. He could not hear. Today, some deaf people who are trained can, can speak. You, have, you guys ever seen the show America's Got Talent? Last year, there was a, this, this, this lady uh, with a beautiful voice, and she was, she was deaf. But you, you could not tell, if you heard her sing, you could not tell she was deaf, but she was. She was trained how to not only speak clearly, but to sing like an angel. But remember, back in this time, there was no medical treatment for these things. There was no speech therapy. There was no help from the government or anyone. So here you have this man who's deaf and mute, neglected and ignored by society. Jesus heals him. But then after he heals him, he tells him to be quiet. Doesn't that seem paradoxical? Why would Mark record this incident? Because Luke and Matthew do not. Mark does in detail. Well, I believe that this incident recorded in Mark with detail 
underscores, undergirds the main theme, the main thrust of Mark, which is what? You remember? Mark's main purpose is to reveal Jesus as the suffering servant. So Mark, just to remind you, back when we started this series over a year ago, (laughs) we started Mark last April, I taught you that Mark focuses on the work, the servitude of Jesus. And so, so Mark, in a sense, cherry-picks this incident to underscore more deeply the, the servitude of Jesus. Jesus came to be served? No. He came to serve, not to be served. Mark 10. So... Mark is telling us this story to dial in even more clearly the servitude of Christ, which has implications for us, does it not? We'll get to that later. But I, I want to take you, before we, before we pick apart this text this morning, let me take you back to Matthew 15. If you want to turn there for a minute, Matthew 15 is... It's helpful because it helps us get a greater, more broad context to what we are going to be discussing today. Matthew 15. I just want to read to you a few verses from Matthew 15, 29 to 31. Matthew 15, 29 to 31. See, this is the synoptic gospels. Departing from there, Jesus went along the Sea of Galilee, and having gone up to the mountain, he was sitting there, and large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled. They were shocked and amazed that as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, they glorified the God of Israel. So Here we get to Mark 7. This is where Mark 7 fits in. When Jesus is up on the mountain in the region of Decapolis, he's not just sitting there by his lonesome and this this deaf dude comes walking up. No. This is within a large context of many sick people, many crippled people, many who cannot see or hear. So why does Mark zero out this guy? We don't know. We don't know the answer to that, but we do know that Mark wants you and I to see, to feel the importance of servitude. Jesus Christ is a servant. So back to Mark 7, 31 to 37 is an example of the immense servitude of Jesus. As I stated early on, this is a paradox. It seems somewhat contradictory to me that he would heal a man and then tell him to put a lid on it. Like any paradox, it has two features. Number one, verses 31 to 35, is the enabling And number two, 
the second feature of this twofold paradox in verses 36 and 37 is the stifling. Let's begin by looking at the enabling. Verse 31, let me draw your attention to verse 31 again. It says, again, he went out from the region of Tyre. That is modern-day Lebanon. You guys learned about that last week. Modern-day Lebanon, which is directly north of modern Israel, west of Syria. Now, if you ever watch the news these days, you know that it's not a very good place to be at this point. So I would not recommend you take your vacation to Lebanon or Syria. But that is where Jesus is at this time. He came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. Why does it say region? Because Decapolis literally means 10 cities. Jesus has left Galilee after a year and a half. That's where he focuses his ministry. Now he transitions to the Gentiles, the pagans, the filthy, dirty Gentiles who do not believe. This is a turning point. He withdraws himself from the Jews. He had enough of them for a while. And he spends the rest of his public ministry with the dirty sinners. After this, he will focus only on his disciples. Then what? He starts the road to the cross, Passion Week. Verse 32. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay hands on him. You know, what comes to my mind, if you read this in context, what comes to my mind, as soon as I read this, just on the surface, here we see again Jesus giving no credence and no sensitivity not even a speck of sensitivity to the religious hypocrites. Why is this so shocking? Because the religious hypocrites, the, 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 the Pharisees, the leaders, the ones who were to be the shepherds but were anything but, for Jesus to give this deaf man the time of day would have caused them to burst with anger. Because they believe that such a man who couldn't talk, who couldn't hear. Have you ever heard a deaf, a, an untrained deaf man, deaf man or woman try to speak? For us, it makes us extremely uncomfortable, doesn't it? So to be deaf. In this time, the Jews would have said, you know what? You must deserve it. There must be sin in your life. Therefore, God has judged you and given you this condition. This was the prevalent view in John 9. Remember in John 9, where even the disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man's sin or was it his parents' sin that caused him to be born blind? Remember? What did Jesus say? It's neither. 
this man was born blind so that God may be glorified through him. So, this poor deaf man, he, he was not only an outcast to, to his own spiritual community or those who had the true God. He was also an outcast by society. He was ostracized by society because those with physical impairments were a burden and were not worth time and resources. So put yourself in the shoes of this deaf man. Which makes this story even more powerful, doesn't it? Jesus did not give one care, one thought to the legalists. So he allowed these people to come to him. While he was on a retreat. Remember Matthew says he was up on a mountain. He was going to retreat. He wanted to get away. But they kept coming. The text says they implored him. That is, they begged him with desperation. They exhorted him. They pled with him. And in verse 33, the Lord demonstrated that he was not afraid of being ceremonially defiled. Nor was he above the common people. It goes on to say, Jesus took him aside, aside from the crowd by himself, by himself. That is significant. This man who was neg uh, neglected and ignored throughout his whole life, Jesus gives this man his undivided attention. And in doing so, made this poor man feel important. Made this man feel like he was not just some dead weight to the people around him for the first time in his life, probably. Jesus is saying by, take, by, by taking him out by himself, he was not embarrassed to be with this man. He was not ashamed of him. He didn't care what other people thought. then it gets even more strange. Jesus puts his fingers into his ears. Then he spits on his fingers. And then he puts his saliva-covered fingers onto the man's tongue. Now, I wouldn't recommend this method in evangelizing deaf men today. You might get slapped in the face or punched. But again, the historical background here is significant for us to understand. Jesus is using sign language here. He's using gestures, nonverbal communication. The first one, the finger to the ear, Jesus is saying that, hey, I recognize your inability here. I know what your need is. That's what Jesus was communicating. Then the finger to the tongue identified the man's speech disability. Remember the text says that he had a speech impediment. Jesus is saying by taking his fingers to his tongue, he's saying, I am connected with you. I am here to help you. The NASB adds saliva in, 
into this text, and it, it's indicated there by how it's italicized. If you have anything other than NASB, it's not there. But the, the, uh, the context, according to the translators of the NASB, demanded that detail to be in there. It's obvious, but the NAS put it there anyway. The saliva obviously did not have any power in and of itself, but the ancient people believed that saliva had healing properties. So Jesus here, by the mere act of touching the man's tongue, indicated to the man that he intended to heal him. Then there's a third gesture. There's a third form of nonverbal communication here in verse 34. He looked up to heaven. So visualize this. You have Jesus off to the side with this, this deaf man that nobody really cares about. He has his tongue, his fingers on his tongue, and he looks up to heaven. That look up to heaven signified, it was a nonverbal cue to show the man that God in heaven is the source of what's going to happen next. Then with a deep sigh, that is a sympathetic groan, a compassionate response. Have you ever sat across the table from somebody suffering and you just are hit with whatever is going on and you just go, This is God doing that. He's, he's, he's revealing compassion here. He's not like, okay, come here, man. Okay, be healed. Jesus is showing a compassionate side here. Then he says something Aramaic. Ephatha. Ephatha. That is Aramaic. It is the mother tongue of Jesus, the colloquial language, the language of the Greek culture was Greek, obviously, but Jesus and his fellow Jews spoke Aramaic. Mark translates it for us. Why? Because Mark is writing to Gentiles like us who would not know Aramaic, so he translates it for us. Be opened. Be opened. It's an exclamation point behind there because the translators want you to understand that this is an authoritative command. After this command, this deaf man was immediately given new hearing organs. Within a split second, he could speak as if he had never been mute. What is this? It's a miracle. A miracle is something that cannot be explained. A miracle is when natural laws are violated. There's no way to explain it. It's not natural, it's supernatural. If we could explain the supernatural, it would no longer be super. So this is a divine miracle. 
Verse 35, his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was removed. That word impediment, literally it's bond or chain, bond or chain. So it was as if the man's tongue was enslaved to his disability, but no longer was this the case. He was released from these chains. He was released from the dungeon of deafness. And Mark says that he began to speak plainly. Plainly. It's the word orthos. Orthos. What does that sound like? Where have you heard that before? The word orthodontic. Orthodontist, right? Why do you go to the orthodontist? You go to the orthodontist so he can make your teeth straight. Here, Jesus makes the man's speech straight. Before, it was just awkward sounds, if anything. Now, he spoke as if he had spoken his whole life. He did not need training. He did not need to go to speech therapy. With two words, Jesus miraculously made this man speak like an intelligible adult. That is the enabling. The second feature of this paradox is in verses 31 to 37, the stifling. First, Jesus enables this man. Now he's going to stifle him. Verse 36, he gave them orders not to tell anyone. Now, we've seen similar comments like this in other places in the Gospels, right? Jesus tells people to shut up. Don't go tell anyone. Oh, I got Johnny's attention when I said that. He says, don't go tell anyone. And to our evangelical minds, that's, that's antithetical to what we're about, right? We are evangelicals, evangelical Christians, because we are all about preaching the gospel, speaking it whenever we can, as loud as we can, to whomever we can. But there are places in Scripture where Jesus says, no, keep a lid on it. We have to understand the historical context. Jesus tells this man, who was no doubt doing cartwheels and and flips and whatever he could without breaking his neck. He tells him to be quiet because it wasn't the right time. If word of what just happened were to spread even more than it already did, his crucifixion would have been premature. Jesus was not done had not yet fulfilled all righteousness. So we don't need more people coming around. And I don't need any more attention than what I already have. Because that could lead to my premature arrest. But secondly, that's, that's the first reason why he says don't tell anyone. Secondly, Jesus did not come to be a popular miracle worker, did he? He did not come to set everyone free. He did not come to set the captives free from physical disease. As you remember from two weeks ago, man's greatest problem is not that which is physical, that which is outside of him. His greatest problem is that he has a corrupt heart and he needs a new one. How does, how does a man, how does a woman get a new heart? It's through believing by means of preaching. 
Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He also came to preach, Mark 1. Remember? So herein lies the paradox. If Jesus would become more popular, more of a celebrity, the people would misconstrue, misconstrue his priority, his ultimate priority, which is to seek and to save that which was lost. Here's the paradox stated more succinctly. He compassionately heals the deaf man, a societal reject. Yet as soon as he does, he tells him to keep his mouth shut. Because Jesus did not come to enable deaf men to hear and to speak. He didn't save sinners. He came to preach the gospel. The gospel. The verse continues. We, we see here that the more he ordered them, the more he widely continued to proclaim it. <laughs> it's like a child, right? You know, adults aren't that much different than children this way, are they? How many of you were told not to do something by your parents when you were little, but that just gave you more fuel to go and do it anyway, right? I remember growing up in a town like Carnation. And like Carnation, how it's divided by a highway, my mom, when I was about Annie's age, told me, don't ride your bike across the highway because it's dangerous. Well, guess what 10-year-old Carl Heitman thought? I'll prove my mom wrong. It ain't going to be too dangerous for me. But adults are the same thing, right, in different ways. The only difference between adults and children is we have a little bit more self-control, at least externally. These, these people are like children. They, they, they do the exact opposite of what their father tells them. They are in disobedience. There's no excuse they should not be commended by going to proclaim this. Yet, I don't want to be overly harsh because it's hard to blame the man, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like telling a blind, a blind man who, who was blind his whole life. All of a sudden, he goes in and gets eye surgery. He walks out of the office for the first time in his life. He sees the beauty of the mountains and the water and everything, the trees. And then all of a sudden, the doc comes out and says, hey, man. Here's a blindfold. I want you to wear it until I say so. Right? The, de- the, blind- the, the guy would probably have some words for him. But So he, even though these, these people are in disobedience here, it's hard to blame them from a human, human perspective. Mark tells us why they couldn't obey, that, why, why they couldn't keep their mouth shut, because they were utterly astonished. Literally, their minds were blown. They didn't know how to process what they just saw. They didn't know how to deal with it or think. They went out and they preached. He makes even the deaf to hear. And the mute to speak. Wow. What an extraordinary miracle. That's recorded for us here in Scripture. Now, what do we learn from this? 
What, what can we learn about Jesus? We just sung, show us Christ, right? Well, I want to I help you see Jesus a little more clearly in this text. First, Jesus has great power and authority. Great power and authority. These miracles, they prove who he claimed to be. These miracles prove he is the son of God. Therefore, what you do with him matters. The degree with, with which you follow him matters. If he is a son of God, then you owe him your unyielding allegiance and obedience and worship. Are you obeying Christ every day? Does the Lord convict your heart when you don't? Did you come here today to worship Christ? The only true God. He demonstrated his power and authority over and over again. And here it's on times 10. Second, Jesus, the man has great compassion and kindness. Mega compassion and kindness. Clearly, Jesus here was willing to extend his touch toward those in need. He was willing to ignore the ridiculous laws of men in public. And he touched Literally, a man who was very sick. But you know what this means for us, brothers and sisters? If Jesus would devote himself, if Jesus, the the God-man, would set aside time to minister one-on-one to a a lost, broken pagan, How much more do you think that he devotes himself to you and me? His sheep. You know that you're not just a number. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're not just one in a million. You're not just a speck of sand in this big sand bucket. You're not just an anonymous average sheep. Did you know that Jesus knows your name? Do you know that if you're one of his sheep, he hears you? You're not just a, a, a soft voice in a sea of millions. He wrote down your name in the book of life before the foundation of the world. Your name. He wrote down Daniel McCafferty. He wrote down Aaron Sogner, I think. Right? He wrote down Justin Lamborn, Jack Moyer, Ben Swanson. All of you. He knows you. So if, if anything else, I pray that you remember that today as you walk out, that he knows your name. He, John 10, he says he calls his own sheep by name. Luke 10, verse 20, your names are recorded in heaven. 
That's why we say, you know, it's kind of a cliche thing. I don't like very much. You know, it's really cool to say that it's about a relationship, not a religion. And people say that because they want you to understand that Christianity is a personal religion. God, God is a person. We are a person. Therefore, the relationship between you and Jesus is a personal one. He's not some deistic myth out there somewhere who has no power and no compassion for you personally. Third, I think the implication in this text points us to the greater need. I want you to take away from this text that Jesus has great power and authority. He has great Compassion and kindness towards you personally. Third, we need more than physical ministry. That's important. We should be ministering to the physical needs of people. We do that here. We do. But the the priority can't be that. The priority has to be spiritual. The, pri- the priority has to be preaching the message that heals spiritual deafness. Spiritual deafness. The only way that all of us whom were born into this world, blind, deaf, and dumb, is through faith in Christ and repentance towards God The means by which you believe is through preaching. And not just preaching here on Sunday morning, preaching in your everyday life. You are all preachers in the sense that you are commissioned and given the responsibility to deliver the life-saving message, the only cure to spiritual deafness. This deaf man, he was he was cured. Obviously. But as, as I study this text, I, Mark doesn't tell us what he did with Jesus. He doesn't. I can't say beyond a shadow of a doubt that he walked away unconverted. I can't say you can't say that he walked away converted. But if you go back to Matthew 15... don't have to turn it unless you want to. The last phrase in Matthew 15, verse 31 says, and they glorified the God of Israel. What does that mean? Well, I can tell you, it doesn't mean they were saved. How many times have you heard someone say, praise the Lord? God is good. All the time, God is good. How many times have you say they love Jesus? There are many who speak the words, but they're just words. True conversion doesn't boil down to whether or not you will give verbal affirmation that God is to be glorified. And I end on this note because I just want to 
remind you and exhort you and plead with you to remember that physical healing isn't enough. Physical ministry is not enough. If you think it is that you have more in common, you believe the social gospel more than you believe the true gospel. We all need to be born again. We need to be regenerate. We need a new heart. We need a cure to the greatest problem we have. And so if you are sitting here today and have never experienced the new birth, if you had not been born again, if you, if you not have been a new creature, if you have, if you have not turned from your sin and followed Jesus, if you're trusting in your own works, if you're trusting in something you think you've done, if you're trusting in something for your salvation that you think that you have contributed, that's not going to help you. There's no sacrament. There's no work that can contribute to your salvation. It's faith in Christ. Believing that he died on the cross in your place. Believing that he took the punishment you deserve. Understanding with your heart and mind that that should have been you on that cross. But God chose to sacrifice his own son so that those who believe can be saved from hell and to be adopted into his family. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross, if you believe that Jesus took the penalty you deserve, that he bore the wrath of God for you, then you are among his sheep. He cares for you. He listens. He loves you. He's your brother. But he's also your master. And we owe him our service that he served us. Amen. Today we have the privilege.